Hey, my name is Josh Korak. I'm a mental health counselor in the Northern Colorado area. In this space, I get the chance to interview professionals in the field, talk about mental illness, self-care, and so much more. With this show, I ask you to join me in doing what one of my favorite philosophers, a Buddhist monk, Thich Nhat Hanh, says. Smile, breathe, and go slowly. This is Care with Korak. Hey everyone, welcome back to Care with Korak. It's been a hot minute. Uh, man, guys, I was really excited to share this new season of episodes with you back in April when I was first starting to release the episodes when I was hoping to um, get them all out there at once. Uh, unfortunately, life happened, right? As many of you experience maybe in your day to day. And um, I experienced a lot of big life changes, mostly good. And so I had to take a pause while I adjusted to that. Um, but I'm back and have a good handful of interviews to share with you guys. I'm really excited about it. And who knows? We'll see what happens after this. Maybe even have a, a few more interviews down the line that I wasn't planning to have in this season. But but maybe we'll we'll tack on. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Um, gosh, though, it, uh, it pains me to share um, some news about the passing of one of my previous uh, podcast guests, uh, Cody Bradford. Um, So Cody was one of my very first guests on the show. Um, I think he was the first person I ever interviewed actually for the show, thinking about it now. Cody died by suicide in September of 2022 after a long and hard journey with his mental health. Cody was a friend, he was a teacher, um, and such an inspiration to me and many other people. I don't have um, a lot of words to say truthfully about this. It's been something that I've been taking my own time to process. You know, I, I'm not going to pretend like uh, me and him were the closest of friends by any means. You know, I, I just uh, only got brief chances to interact with him and... Um, but man, I got to sit down with him for two or three hours and, and hear his life story. And that was that was pretty impactful for me. And I feel like I learned a lot. And man, I was just so honored to um, have him on my show and to hear a little bit about his story. And it is truly such a loss um, to not have him here anymore. So uh, I will be linking. There's a GoFundMe set up in his name that you can find both in uh, this episode description, but also the episode descriptions of his episodes. I would really encourage those who haven't listened to his two episodes to give them a listen. Um, Cody, man, has a lot of wisdom to share in them, um, both about mental health and the outdoors and suicide and, and so much. It's um, It really was an honor to, to get down and, and sit with him and um, didn't get the chance to climb with him which is hard, but, um, man, I, I still feel like I learned so much from him. So, uh, yeah, definitely, definitely take a look at that. So, um, for today's episode though, uh, doing a quick turning point here, I am joined by a a good friend, a mentor and old professor of mine, Dr. Jonathan Demos. So Dr. John Demos, a little bit about him. He is a licensed psychologist with over 4,000 hours of clinical experience doing both counseling and psychological assessment. He has experience working with a wide variety of clients, including missionaries, missionary candidates, adolescents, college students, adults, couples, families, chronically mentally ill and incarcerated populations. Dr. Demos has taught psychology and counseling courses at Bethel University, Metro State University of Denver, Denver Seminary, and the Regis University MA in Counseling Program. He has taught full-time at SIAS University in China and in the undergraduate psychology department at Regis University. Uh, he is currently teaching, uh, which is where I know him through at Colorado Christian University in their undergraduate uh, program. And, 
Unfortunately, I don't know if I got this out in time, but I know he's up for promotion right now. So he um, very well might be, I believe. Gosh, are you associate professor now? Assistant professor? I, I can't remember. I'm sorry, Dr. Demos. But um, he's up for something and he, he very well deserves it. So Dr. Demos received his uh, Master of Arts in Professional Counseling from Colorado Christian University and his PhD in Counseling Psychology from the University of Denver. In this episode, Dr. Demos and I have some fun engaging in reality testing, reflecting on what our experiences of each other were like during our time as student and teacher. We also talk about positive psychology and why this isn't being talked about more in the field, the dynamics of being placed on a pedestal as a counselor and professor, and why Dr. Demos transitioned from private practice to teaching, and a lot more. Follow me at Josh Korak on TikTok, Instagram, YouTube for video clips, podcast previews, and more mental health content. If for whatever reason you are in a mental health crisis, please call 988, the new suicide hotline number, or go to your nearest emergency room. If you are from Colorado and are interested in scheduling a session, please reach out at sojourncounselingco.com slash Josh. You can always find all of this in the episode description. Um, guys, I am for sure going to try and keep getting some episodes out here as quickly as I can. And I'm also realizing that this tends to be a lot of work for me. And so I also have to go at my own pace. And so I appreciate your patience. Um, I appreciate your support and, uh, you giving this a listen and supporting the people I'm getting in to come and interview and man, they just have so much to say. So appreciate you all. Um, welcome back. Glad we can, we can keep doing this. So. All right, let's not waste any more time and get back into it. This is Care with Korak with Dr. Jonathan Demos. Hey, Dr. Demos. It's so good to have you here. Thank you, Josh. It's good to be here. Good. Well, um, welcome to the show. Would you mind just taking a minute or two and just introducing yourself? Who who are you? <laughs> right. Yeah, I am Dr. John Demos. Um, I am a licensed psychologist, and my current gig is I'm an assistant professor of psychology at Colorado Christian University. Uh, that's where I met Josh mm-hmm. uh, as a student in my classes. Um, and, uh, for the longest time, uh, I was teaching, uh, and doing, uh, private practice counseling, uh, bounce around teaching at different places and then, uh, kind of landed at Colorado Christian university and loving my gig there and, uh, really excited about a chance to put some roots down in a department and really build something there. Yeah. Uh, and seeing my clients, uh, on the side while doing that, um, and, uh, at some point, uh, having the full-time uh, teaching job and the part-time counseling job felt like a lot. Felt like I wasn't giving uh, as much to either thing as mm. I would have liked. Um, and it seemed like the counseling was uh, the thing that uh, needed to give. Uh, I just felt it more and more with my students in terms of them uh, wanting more from me outside of the classroom and my wanting to provide that, wanting to be sure. like, that's why, that's why I'm there and that's right. why I'm doing it is to build those relationships with students um, and uh, to feel like I was constantly ducking out uh, to try to maintain this other job and to try to grade in the cracks of that and feeling like I'm not giving the, the feedback or the time or attention or energy to that. Uh, that I'd like. And so two years ago, uh, I wrapped up my practice and put all of my energy into, I want to uh, build my classes and build this department at CCU uh, and uh, let that be kind of my gig. Mm -hmm. And that's what I've been doing for the last two years now and have really enjoyed sinking my teeth into that challenge. Yeah. Love that challenge. Yeah. Well, I mean, it makes sense. Speaking as a former student, I know after the first class, I was like, yes, oh my gosh, I want more demos. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I get the student perspective of wanting more. Because you're, I mean, you were just a great, you were a great professor. Um, you know, your classes were engaging. Uh, I just, I remember it being a really nice balance between what we had, where, you know, before you came on, we only had two or three psych professors 
um, right. being yeah. a smaller school. Mm-hmm. And we had um, Dr. Freeman, who's great, a little bit more analytical, a little bit more research-driven. Yeah. Um, and Dr. Mitch, who was a little bit more re- relational. Not that Dr. Freeman isn't relation- relational, but um, just a little bit more engaging with the class. And you were yeah. just this really good mix of both, I think. And it, it, I really enjoyed um, that. I think well, the first class was that. addictions I took. Oh yeah. yeah, and that was a roller coaster ride, dude. That was a that was a change, like a pretty transformational class for me, honestly, and for me too. Was it? Yeah, because yeah, that was your first class teaching, and so now you're a counselor, and you know that it works both ways. So yeah. you help your clients change, uh, and you're involved in that process too. Like you mm. can't stay unmarked by that process, right. and it's the same thing as a teacher. When you have a group of students who are willing to commit and engage mm. on a difficult topic like addictions, uh, I get caught up in that process, too, and it, it, it changes me. So, right. yeah, I remember that class. Right. Um, and it was powerful. Yeah. I remember it would just it hit me at such a raw time, too, because my – I mean, this is a little, uh, you know, a little bit of a personal disclosure, but my um, cousin at the time – because this was right, right around 20 – 18, I think. Um, I think mm-hmm. that sounds right. Yeah, I think so. Uh, and my cousin at the time had just overdosed on heroin and died mm. from it. And so, uh, and I think this was only a few months after because we were taking this in the spring semester. And um, so this hit me at a raw time and it was like, oh my gosh, like addictions is a real thing, right? Because before I, I had like no experience with it. We didn't yeah. even know this was going on with my cousin, yada, yada, yada. And I remember we, as one of our assignments, we had to go to... Uh, a couple of AA or NA groups. Yep. <laughs> and I remember being like, oh, God, like, what is he having us do? Like, why Why does he, you know, why yeah. are we having to do this? And There's that gut check moment yeah. in the parking lot, right? Right. Well, it just, it feels so foreign. It feels so bizarre of like, here's some, <laughs> you know, white kid in college going to a, a AA group, NA group with people who have struggled immensely throughout their life with various addictions, whatever it might be, and or, or substance misuse, however we want to call it. And I'm going in there and, and doing what exactly, right? But it w- I just remember it being such a humbling experience. It hmm. radically changed how I viewed um, people specifically around substance misuse. Yeah, and humanizes that. Yeah, 100%. And it turns it from something out there to something yeah. very close. Yeah. So, Josh, I'm wondering, I'm wondering <laughs> if we can like try an exercise here. It's, it's like we're intro- doing introductions yeah. right now. Perfect. Um, I wonder if there's a chance for you and I to kind of model some of the reality testing skills mm. that we work on with clients in terms of like building relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm wondering if we can um, share how we experienced each other, how I yeah. experienced you as a student. Yeah, uh, and how you experienced <laughs> me as a professor, uh, maybe as a way to for mm-hmm. your audience to get to know me, right? <laughs> and uh, maybe for your audience to get to know you a little bit, and to maybe model something that you yeah. and I both work on. Yeah, no, that'd be great. It's funny you brought that up because you're just talking to Trey earlier before we started this and yeah. talking about that kind of wide range you get with students. You get the top five percent, bottom five percent in terms of like engagement, and then you get like yeah. the middle ninety. And I was like, oh, I know exactly where I was, <laughs> and I'm curious to see if you know. But yeah. yeah, do you want me to start? You want to start? I'll start. Yeah, please. <laughs> And let me just first say, like, how fun this is, mm-hmm. um, because for the entirety of our relationship, uh, I've I've been responsible for picking and choosing the direction and pushing you and asking you questions and evaluating mm-hmm. you. Um, and it's fun to be on your podcast. And now it's your <laughs> job to ask me questions. And, right. Uh, it feels like a, a good reversal here that uh, I'm already enjoying. <laughs> yeah. So thank you. This for is this. this is really fun. Yeah. Um, yeah, my experience of Josh Corrick as a student, um, I'm going to struggle to put words. There's this subjective impression that you get when you're upfront and engaging with students and reading their work. Um, I think I experienced you as something like appropriately skeptical, Mm. um, sincerely skeptical. Um, so maybe I can frame that in terms of two extremes of, I think occasionally I get these students who metaphorically have their arms folded 
or, or maybe literally, literally just have their arms <laughs> folded in class. Yeah. Um, and there, it feels like a really high uh, barrier to get over mm. to convince them that I have something to offer in their lives. They feel pretty set. You know, you're talking mm-hmm. about psychology. Here's human behavior. I think some people just already feel like they have that figured out and right. that I don't have much to offer them. Um, and I, I think that's pretty rare. But if we're putting that as one uh, extreme and then on the other extreme, which I think is more common uh, as a professor, is maybe kind of the fanboy or the fangirl. Uh, who are so on board and so, and like mm-hmm. whatever I feel, whatever I say, seems to be accepted uh, with kind of undue criticism mm. uh, or undue critical thinking, uh, and just exuberantly accepted as Dr. Demos <laughs> is so wise and so godly and so knowing and so great, omniscient. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's just so great, and um, it, it feels like there's not enough. Mm critical pushback and i experienced you as this great balance this great tension between those two things of um uh there's there's a leaning in there's an openness there's a curiosity but also this very sharp analytical mind behind it Hmm. of um i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna hear it i'm gonna digest it i'm gonna i'm gonna understand your argument and then i'm going to decide what i think about it interesting yeah is again i'm yeah i don't know if that's true uh but this is the skill yeah uh, one of the skills we work on in counseling right right? right. let's talk about how we experience each other yeah and see if we can get closer to reality Mm. Uh, so i don't know if that's true that's how i experienced you as having this deep positive uh critical thinking process um and i think the other thing that really jumps out to me is we push our students in every way possible in the psych department there's a there's an intellectual and academic piece to that there's a personal piece to yeah. that there's an emotional there's a spiritual there's a relational uh we we poke in every possible way and we yep. ask students to kind of meet the challenge in every category of what it means to be human mm. um because to be good in this line of work that you are getting into uh certainly requires an intellectual prowess you can't check your brain at the door for what you're doing right um but you can get 100 percent on every test in a psychology program be a terrible counselor right there's this personal piece there's this emotional piece uh there's this uh bringing appropriate spiritual piece into that and i sensed you as being one of those students who's on board for every category Mm. i could ask you know a a journal reflective prompt and josh would show up for that i could ask uh you know a research essay assignment i feel like you would show up for that Mm. um i feel like you were there for all of it um but in terms of uh, rhetorical analysis is where you seem to really shine, where you seem really? to be the most comfortable. Um, uh, and where I thought, uh, your work and your interactions in class really sparkled when it came to analyzing an argument. Could you give me an example? What, what's one that sticks out to you? Again, this is, you graduated what, two, three years ago? 2019. Yeah. So, so I'm speaking more on impressions now. Yeah, more yeah. Like I can't remember an interaction sure. in class. Okay. Uh, but, and you didn't speak a ton in class. That's, um, that's what I was going to But your out. words mattered. <laughs> uh, when you spoke, it was mm. clear that you were tracking and engaging with what we were doing yeah. and that you were uh, interacting on a pretty deep critical level uh, that I was like, ooh, that's good. I like mm-hmm. how he's chewing on that. Keep mm-hmm. chewing, Josh. I, I think that's the, the posture I had towards you grading yeah. your work and experiencing you in class is like, ooh, yeah, keep going. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're not mm. there. You're not a finished project product. Right. But, man, you're on the right track. Keep going. I, yeah. this, this insatiable curiosity is going to take you exactly where it's supposed to. It's, it's going in the right direction. Mm. Keep going. That's how I experienced yeah. you as a student. <laughs> well, thank you for that, you know, not so humble uh, – kindness that you just gave me right now you just totally have to me up that was <laughs> very nice of you thank you um yeah i i'd say that was relatively accurate accurate of how i remember my experience i'd say what i would add to that is is maybe emphasizing a little bit more i i remember being like too quiet during classes like not sometimes it felt like i wasn't Agreed. engaging enough and mm-hmm. i i know why i know why now because um, I struggled a lot with anxiety during college, which I was not even fully aware of until mm. after college. Yeah. Um, and a lot of that was, I mean, well, I won't go into huge details, but a lot of that stemmed from like, 
before college. And so it was this like really long journey of kind of self-discovery of figuring out where this anxiety was coming from. And it really hit its peak when I did the Aconcagua trip, if you remember that, um, Mm -hmm. with Derek. And um, that's when it hit its peak. That's when I got myself back into counseling with Clinton and, um, and started to be able to work on some of that stuff. But I just remember you know, taking in what you and the other professors were saying and, and kind of what you're saying. I, I do remember really appreciating what you're saying and um, just, just being hungry for more. Like, I'm like, Oh my God, this is so good. I was just excited about it. And I was like, I agree that like, I would take that, take it home, digest it, you mm-hmm. know, reflect it back in my, my homework, you know, whether it's papers or um, personal reflections or whatever it may be. Um, but sometimes I look back and I'm like, man, I wish I engaged more in classes mm. because I wonder how that could have made me push me to uh, to grow more. Yeah. Um, and I remember being curious about your quietness because it didn't mm. quite match up with the quality of the work that you were turning yeah. in. Um, and again, just in terms of how I experienced it, uh, it clearly wasn't disengagement or daydreaming mm. or Josh doesn't care. Yeah. Like I could tell you were there. I could mm-hmm. tell you were focused. Um, but yeah, there was a there's a hesitation there yeah. that I don't fully understand. Yeah, is I think how I experienced that. Yep, which I mean has carried on. It, it ultimately what it was it was almost a sense of imposter syndrome where it felt like what I have to say isn't important, what I have to say isn't going to be relevant, or um, isn't going to contribute to the discussion overall. Mm. And I do remember when I did speak up, it was because I felt confident. I'm like, I know this is important. I know this is going to help our discussion. Um, but I, I struggle a lot of just that self doubt. And that was, that was a big yeah. you know hurdle for me going into grad school and doing that program and, and really having to struggle. Like I don't have to have it all figured out, but I also, I, I am pretty knowledgeable. Like I, I, I do know enough to be able to be confident in the setting that I'm in and, and trust that what I'm having to say is important. And now you have a master's in counseling <laughs> and imposter syndrome is completely gone, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, it's never there anymore. Yeah, yeah. yeah no. Me too. Yeah, I never <laughs> Yeah, you never get that. as a professor uh, <laughs> all never, the time, right? I yeah. Mean. It doesn't happen to me at all before every semester that I start having dreams about yeah. how I don't know anything. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. That, that doesn't happen uh, anymore. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, so as far as, like, you, you being a professor. Um, yeah, give it a shot. I'm curious as to what you're going to say. Yeah. I mean, it... I just the the impression I got from you and again this may be me idolizing you in a sense or um putting you on that platform kind of like what we were talking about but I I always remember you being pretty calm, pretty level-headed, which I always really appreciate. And I was always curious like how does he do that? <laughs> right? Mm. Like especially as somebody who is struggling with anxiety during that time and I I always felt like you know, jittery and moving around, like what is going on with myself? And here's Dr. Demos, who's getting in front of a huge, you know, um, huge class, uh, CCU. I mean, sometimes up to like 40 students. So huge, huge to me, yeah. <laughs> maybe huge to you. I don't know. Um, but getting in front of a, you know, a big class of people and um, speaking on these subjects that um, we look to you as a, whether we're supposed to or not, we look to you as being the experts on, right? We're, we're looking to you for guidance. I mean, literally learning. I am paid to be an expert. Exactly. So that's not completely unfair. <laughs> exactly. Right. And, and I'm looking at you and I'm like, Oh my God, like he, he just seems to be like radiating peace hmm. and like calmness and just the way you would talk. It wasn't slow. It wasn't mon- monotonous, it, but it was, it was careful. It was, um, steady and it just it felt like a like just comforting almost like how you would talk about the these things um it just felt really engaging for me it was like I because it contrasted with your interior world mm-hmm. which was a little loud yeah. yeah 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 that makes sense um which is so that i really appreciated that aspect because um you know class was a time where i could go i could learn i could be curious and i just knew that that was going to be met like I didn't, whenever I went to your class, I never had a question that that was not going to be a goal of mine that was not met, hmm. if that makes sense. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So 
I really remember that. And then I just remember, like, it was just a lot of fun. Like, you, you taught some really fun subjects. I remember we did addictions. We did uh, personality, like theories mm-hmm. of personality. We did um, clinical counseling methods together. So talking about different theories and talking about I, – I remember you calling it the, the it factor, right, um, in terms of, like, that that kind of special sauce that's needed to be a counselor, right? Um, yeah, that the skill set's different than most people think it is. Right. It's, right. Uh, I'm not going to spend this class training you how to give better advice. Right. Exactly. There, there, it's a different skill set, and it's a skill set around being present mm-hmm. and building a therapeutic alliance. Yep. Exactly. So, um, so I just remember it being a lot of fun too. I'm trying to remember what other classes I took with you because I know I took a few. Um, oh, positive psychology. Positive right? psychology. That's yeah. What, yeah that was. Oh, that's the class where, I, as a student, I feel like you really shined. Yeah. Where you jumped out as, like, yeah, he's 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 ahead of where we're going here. Yeah. Well, it just made so much sense to me. And it, it, it brought up this question, which I, I'm sure we talked about in, in And maybe class. for your listeners, can we define positive psychology? Because maybe that's a term most people haven't yeah. heard. Which I think is a travesty that most right. people don't know what that is. Well, and that's what I was just going to bring up, is, like, we, in the field of psychology, so... I guess, and maybe you could speak, you could probably speak better to this than I could. Go for it. Um, but in the field of psychology, historically, we have focused on um, the negative aspects of human behavior, what we would call mm-hmm. abnormal psychology, um, psychopathology, whatever, you know, there's technical terms yeah. for it. But As just, Seligman says, making miserable people less miserable mm, yeah. was the focus of psychology really for the first century exactly. of our existence. Right? Um, really, for good reason, right? That's not mm-hmm. a bad pursuit. No. It's an it important was, pursuit. It was like, you're coming in, there's something wrong with you, let's fix that, yeah. right? Uh, which is not bad. And that's still a, a large focus today, you know, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. But what the focus of positive psychology, which really started to emerge in the 90s, am I right in that? Yeah. Early 2000s, maybe. Mm -hmm. Um, Positive psychology really focuses on the opposite, right? Really focuses on, okay, what's going good for you, right? What's strong in your life? What's strong in you? What are Mm -hmm. some of your personal strengths, your values? How do your values uh, match with how you're living life right now? Yep. Right, all these really positive things. Um, Talent, genius, thriving, exactly. successful relationships, flow. flow I really, I, that yeah. was my favorite subject that we focused on that class. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and so positive psychology is is kind of it, it doesn't ignore the abnormal behavior. It's not saying, oh well, let's just ignore the depression you're going through or. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the manic mood swings you're having or whatever it may be. It's like, okay, well, let's take that and let's not ignore the good things in life right now. And let's yeah. capitalize on some of those things like social relationships, right? If you have some really strong support, let's increase that, right? Let's make sure that you're yeah. staying connected through mm-hmm. these periods of depression, right? Which it just li- lines up with research, right? We need positive supports when um, yeah. we're feeling depressed, right? That's going to help. Um, so I, I remember, and that was the first time CCU taught that course period, right? Yeah. First time ever in the history of the school. Yeah. So I, that was a really fun class. I, and then you explain, cause students sign up for a positive psychology class is like, it fits in my schedule or I want to take a class <laughs> yeah. with Dr. Demos or for whatever right, reason. Right. And then you explain, here's what this is. And this has literally never been taught before. Mm-hmm. And the looks on people's faces is like, wait, why? That's, that's, that's exactly so obvious and so common sense that we should be studying people who are doing well mm-hmm. and figuring out what's working for people who yeah. are doing well, not just not just stu- studying the bad marriages and how to make them less bad, but what are the great marriages and mm-hmm. what are they doing? Yeah, and and yet even twenty, thirty years later, since this field emerged, it, those questions are still being asked, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which is just super interesting to me. It, it still has a lot of room to grow. So. Um, yeah. But yeah, so it was just, I can still I, picture where you sat in that class. <laughs> yeah. I was pretty. I was pretty much right in the front row, right? Yeah, yeah <laughs> I was, just I was off eager. to my left a little I, bit. Yeah. I still use some of the ex- like I use some of the exercises I did in that class and sessions sometimes. The way um, we would start off class, mm-hmm, like the way we would yeah. start off class, um, whether it's like the breathing exercises or different things like that. I remember in particular the savory exercise um, where you brought in some candy. I think it was like a Hershey's kiss or something like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, instead of just gobbling it down, like most of us probably would, you take like five minutes 
to slowly just appreciate it using mm-hmm. all of your senses you smell it you look at it you feel yeah. it and you take five minutes to eat this little piece of candy right and it's this it's, it's a gratitude um mm-hmm. i don't know what the right name for it would be but it's a savory exercise and yep. and sometimes i'll still use that with clients i'm like it it's fun so and right it's on. good yeah but so that's how I remember you. I remember a lot of fun. I remember a lot of just being engaged and like not having to force my engagement, like not having to um, like, oh, God, I got to wake up. I got to go to class. I got to try and focus. Like I just that wasn't a thing for me. Awesome. Yeah. Glad to hear that. Yeah. How's that line up with your experience? <laughs> um, I think the interesting feedback for me is that you use the word calm because mm. uh I don't think that's how I experience myself really when I'm up in front of class, there's kind of like the bright lights are on and you're kind of on in front of 40 people. And I feel like there's this frenetic, passionate, idealistic Mm. side of me that comes out that I'm like trying to restrain not being so over the top. Really? Uh, Yeah. That uh, I want to be passionate in a way that engages Mm -hmm. students, but not over the top in a way that's like exhausting or like it feels like they just need to caretake me. Yeah. Uh, but I feel like I'm more on that edge. Than, See that than that just wasn't edge. my experience though. Like I, I felt the passion. I felt like you know I could I could just tell like what you were talking about was important to you. Like you wanted to be there. Yes. Um, you and were it is yeah. interested in what you were talking about. Like this wasn't just a class that you got assigned to. Like this was stuff that you were interested in that you took the time to prepare for, and you're passionate in talking about. It. Like so, right. I don't want to mistake the calm, steady cadence of how you would talk about it, like with with not being passionate because there's definitely a lot of passion and yeah i think that what feels like the what what i experience as a compliment and feels really good to me uh is i'm not a naturally organized person mm. in in my personal life i tend to be pretty laid back pretty chaotic uh and that i recognize as a professor that's not fair yeah. Uh, so I feel like I uh, swim against the tide of my natural personality to try to be as organized and clear as possible with the time that I have with students. And I think that's a lot of what I heard in what you were describing my mm-hmm. demeanor in class is that there was a clarity and that there was an organization to what I was doing. Um, and that feels like a great compliment to me. Mm, when people yeah. are like, you're so empathetic. I hear that. That feels good. But that's always been my personality. Yeah, I've never I mean, tried to be that way. I've, yeah. I've cultivated that. I've tried to fine tune that. But that that doesn't feel as much like a compliment because that feels like complimenting me on having brown hair. Like, well, that's just what I have. <laughs> um, yeah. But when it's like you're saying calm and organized mm-hmm. and clear, yeah. that feels like a compliment because I work for that. Yeah. That's, a, that's a discipline. Mm. And so that, that's where I put my fist. Like, I'm so glad that comes across. Yeah. Well, it did, you know, you're a good, you're a good professor. What, tell me a little bit, you know, and, and for my audience, what, how did you get where you're at right now? Like, what is this journey that you've been on from going to, your, you know, getting your master's then going for your doctorate, teaching mm-hmm. throughout this, practicing as a clinician throughout all of this? Like, how have you kind of settled with teaching? Tell, kind of walk me through that journey a little bit. Just yeah. briefly. Yeah, I was not one of those students, uh, you know, freshman year in college. Mm-hmm. Like, I know what I want to do. I want to get a PhD in psychology and become a professor. Right. That's been a very long, winding journey. Mm-hmm. So to tell that whole story would take up the whole podcast. Right. Uh, which is not what I think we want to spend our time on. Um, I but, guess I guess more so just to focus on, like, why, why teaching? Why has teaching been, been it for you? Um, to answer that question, I think you have to start with why counseling. Mm. Um, and I think that's a long and sometimes painful story for me in terms of acknowledging, um, uh, if I can use some Christian jargon, uh, with your audience, uh, of eventually accepting and then owning and then embracing what feels like calling to me, mm. uh, a calling that I was not comfortable with. 
which is built around my deep empathetic nature that mm-hmm. I'm finely attuned to other people's thoughts and feelings and emotions in ways that caused problems in my life in mm-hmm. ways that felt like a problem. Um, I think even in terms of, uh, defining myself as masculine was mm. scary for me. Like that felt like a more feminine skill set. And is that okay for me to be empathetic and compassionate yeah. and kind? Uh, and so, uh, there was almost, almost this Jonah esque running away from that for, mm-hmm. uh, my adolescence and early adulthood. And I think a lot of that journey to me becoming a teacher and a professor of psychology, uh, is also the journey of me, uh, learning to name uh, and then own and then embrace the way I think God made me to be, mm. uh, which is uh, that empathetic, kind, caring nature, uh, not divorced uh, mm-hmm. from reason or analysis, uh, that it can be embraced in deeply unhealthy ways, which I have all of those stories. Sure, yeah. But that it also can be embraced in powerful ways. And when I started to embrace that, my career path started to open up. And Mm -hmm. uh, the master's in counseling made sense. And I really thrived in that. Um, And then uh, (laughs) I did what no reasonable person does when they finish a master's in counseling. Just like (laughs) sold and gave away all our stuff and moved to China. That's right. And taught English Mm -hmm. uh, at a... uh, a uh, college in the middle of China, like middle of nowhere, China. <laughs> you know what was coming up for me as you were talking, even before you brought up China, I was thinking yeah. of the story of you climbing the mountain. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know if this is the right time to share it, but oh my God, that that still kills me to this yeah, day. Yeah, <laughs> it's still like a defining life experience yeah. of these students. They're like, do you want to come climb a mountain, which we thought was going to be like like a day hike, but ended up being an overnight hike. Yeah, and, like uh, climbing, like an like Aconcagua almost for me. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> it was a track. And then at the top yeah. of it, oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, a story for another time. That might be a little, little Yeah, a story for, for another time. Um, and so China was really just bumming around. Mm, yeah. Uh, my wife and I's... Uh, unslakeable thirst for adventure. Mm. Uh, and if we're going to pull off a big adventure like this, this is really the time in life where we're, uh, we don't have kids yet and uh, don't have really good roots put down anywhere and let's go have an adventure. Um, and that's what it was. And that's what it remained for my wife. And teaching was just the thing that was paying for yeah, sure. <laughs> the, the adventure, uh, the excuse to go over. And then... It became more than that. Mm -hmm. I found myself loving the preparation process. I found myself loving being in the classroom. Um, That public speaking scares a lot of people. It didn't scare me. And I enjoyed that process of kind of leading a group of people from point A to point B over a long period of time. Uh, But then really still beg the question, do I love this because of the... Uh, the oddness of the experience and I'm kind right. of an experience junkie. Is it, is it, do I love teaching because of how unique it is to teach these Chinese students in a place I've never been in a culture that I'm exploring or do I love teaching? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I really came home. Uh, I got a resident director gig at right. Bethel university in Minnesota and I love that job. And it was really an inflection point for me of, mm-hmm. I, I love this job and I'm good at this job and I can see, uh, student life as a career for me, but I'm also taking advantage of some of the teaching opportunities I had there to now teach American students. Uh, and do I still love this? Mm-hmm. And the answer was yes. And it was a terrifying yes, because what that meant is if I'm going to pursue this, that means getting a PhD, mm. uh, now, uh, in my early thirties with two small kids, wait, am I really going to do this? And so it was really a big count the cost moment. I'm going to spend five ended up being six years getting a PhD with no guarantee at the other end of that, that there'd be a job waiting for me. Yeah. Wow. Um, and, uh, that's where, uh, my wife gets a lot of credit and her, mm-hmm. uh, her desire to see me thrive. Uh, and that continued unslakable thirst for adventure is like, this is the adventure and we're going to go for it. Yeah. Uh, and she was all in, uh, which gave me the permission to be all in on that adventure. And I started heading in that direction. And again, no guarantee that I'd be doing what I'm doing right now, which feels like my dream, dream job of teaching really? psychology at yeah. CCU to uh, these bright, motivated, and invested, engaged students. Mm. One of them being 
the person stop, across from me now. Stop. Um, well, and something I've always really appreciated, which I'm guessing is part of what drew you to CCU and just drew you to professorship in general, is the fact that you actually get to work with the students, that you get to mm-hmm. teach the students. Because I know that's not always the case, right? Yeah. Um, like, for example, like at CU Boulder, at more of like a research-oriented school, the, the actual doctor – like professor doesn't always even teach the classes right and if they do it's probably with like 120 students in the class and you're not it's not anticipated or expected that you would have a relationship with that professor yeah it's a lot more disconnected it's yeah. you're which there is to not learn. Why, I, why i want to be a professor right it's part of why i want to be a professor but if that was the whole thing right i don't think i'd find it as satisfying so i'm right. i'm in the place doing the thing that i'd yeah. like to be doing with the students i'd like to do it with mm. It seems like just a really cool intersection of what you did in counseling and do in counseling where you do build the relationships on a more personal level and mm-hmm. you get that broader experience where you get to work with more people, you get to instruct them, you get to guide them, like you said, from point A to point B. And it, yeah, it sounds yeah, like you're, you're touching on something that's been on my mind lately. Uh, if I could uh, rabbit yeah, trail a please. little bit. Um, what I've been more aware of is how unique and rare the opportunity I have as a professor to walk with a group of people. Hmm. Um, let, let me contrast that with a pastor who also, I, I, I think I have a shepherding role in students' lives yeah. uh, in a way that a pastor has a shepherding role in uh, their parishioners' lives. Um, but comparing what I do to a pastor who maybe uh, has like 30 minutes a week. Mm-hmm. Uh, and not everybody goes to church every Sunday uh, and a pastor doesn't preach every Sunday. So maybe right. it comes to like two times a month for 30 minutes, they get a chance to instruct and teach. And then obviously weddings and funerals and crises um, uh, and maybe taking on like a few specific people that they're discipling or mentoring and meeting with maybe once a week for an mm-hmm. hour. Um, uh, and, and so that's, I, I think the opportunity that a pastor has to mold people's lives, yeah. which I think is powerful and great. Uh, and then maybe compare that to a counselor who I think is similar. We meet with clients maybe once a week for an hour. Mm-hmm. For some clients, it's every other week based on what they can afford or their work schedule. Mm-hmm. For some clients, it's once a month. Uh, and we get this really powerful space in their lives uh, to help them grow and challenge them and give them a space to heal from like these wounds and pains that have held them back in important ways. It is profound. You and I have experienced how powerful right. that is. Uh, and it's great. Uh, and it makes a, a powerful difference in people's lives. But then contrast that with what I get to do as a professor. Mm. When I teach a class, it's a 16-week semester where I get them twice a week. Uh, and so it's like three hours of lecture mm-hmm. a week. Yeah. So, again, it, like that's three weeks worth with a counselor. Mm-hmm. If you're meeting with them once a week, which you don't even always do that, that's like two months worth of sermons for mm-hmm. a pastor. Uh, and then what pastors don't get is they don't do Q and a in their sermons. They just deliver it, but I'm doing Q and a in my lectures. I'm giving material and then saying, what do you think? Mm, yeah, Josh, I can see the gear spinning there for you. Do you want to put some words to it? And then like, now you're talking and engaging with mm-hmm. it uh, in this powerful interactive process and then pastors and counselors might be counselors but uh, for the most part don't assign homework Mm -hmm. and certainly not graded homework right where i have grading authority over you so you have to show up and answer this prompt and write this 10 page essay Mm. and i have to show up with the best of my energy and attention uh and focus and expertise and grade that and give you feedback right um you know, and then not just for one class, but I had you for several classes right. that I have a group of students that for four years, Mm-mm. I get extended time, three hours a week for 16 weeks and then assignments and then exams. So that's not even counting all the hours outside of class that I talk with students and that I grade right. their stuff. 16 weeks to have a conversation on a topic. How does personality form? Mm to just really slow down and dig yeah. into the roots and the foundations and answer questions and talk about this theory and then this theory and then integrate it and talk about a biblical worldview. And, uh, you know, if, 
if Jesus really got out of that grave, um, that affects how our personality expresses. Can we have that mm-hmm. conversation uh, without turning that into a really simplistic Sunday school lesson that I think right. doesn't honor the, the depth of that, but includes that uh, mm-hmm. topic and then like talks about the scientific literature and research and emotional exploration and personal exploration. What other context do people get that opportunity there that I get to, to, to take students like you mm-hmm. as freshmen and start a conversation mm-hmm. and then finish it four years later with hours and hours and hours of discussion and feedback and tears mm-hmm. and laughter and inappropriate Demos jokes in class <laughs> and like the whole thing. We're living life together in a way yeah. that is so unique and rare and I, I'm just, I've been feeling the weight of privilege and obligation mm. that I have in my job of like, who else gets to do this kind of shaping and molding of young lives Yeah. besides what I get to do? And then even as a psychology professor, like if you're teaching engineering and math uh, or uh, pre-med or nursing, you still get these really rare opportunities, but not like I get as a psychology professor. Right. I'm just feeling how cool that is. And even as a psychology professor specifically, like not comparing to other types of professors, because, you know, we you're not going to be doing the same kind of personal reflections, the same types of discussions that you would in economics. Mm-hmm. Right. Or. Yeah. Uh, and maybe maybe I'm just being biased here, but it doesn't seem like that would be the case, right? Yeah. Like we're talking about behavior, we're talking about personal um, development, right? It's just it's a yeah. given. And so, what a cool space! I mean, that you how get can to we do talk that. about attachment and bonding without talking about our attachment and bonding? Exactly. And how do we attach in relationships? And what are the ways that's broken? And what are the ways we do that well? How do you separate that out? And and you possibly could, but it's not going to go very well. And you're yeah. not going you're going to be worse off for it if you don't yeah. do your own reflection. And I'm teaching in a department that does not want me to separate that. Right. Out, that our entire exactly. program is built around this parallel tracks of mm-hmm. the science of psychology as a legitimate science, mm-hmm. and our students either know it or they don't and if they don't they're not going to graduate right uh and this personal processing piece that is Mm -hmm. built into our model yeah it's explicit which changed me for the better awesome (laughs) can you put some more words to that oh yeah i mean sure i mean geez the amount you know kind of going back to this reality testing i just i do remember and this isn't just with you but with again with uh mitch and freeman and um I'm forgetting who used to be the dean. Uh, Saxby. Uh, Saxby, yeah. yeah. Um, so with everybody, you know, there was just a lot of integrating this personal reflection, whether it's just um, like a one-page prompt or, you know, it didn't have to be some huge thing, but there was just a ton of uh, personal reflections in each class, right? Whether it was um, something that was naturally personal, like uh, human development, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or lifespan development or... Um, something that maybe didn't seem to have as much uh, personal attachment to it, like, um, oh gosh, like one of the research classes even, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, where we're talking about statistics and, and things like that. You wouldn't think that there would be some some personal reflections in there, but there was. Yeah. And, um, and so at first I was like, oh my gosh, like what is with all this personal reflection? Like I'm just here to learn about psychology mm-hmm. and like I don't want to do this personal work. And um, that was kind of my initial attitude at first. But then I started to, I started to get it, right? And it started to click with me. I'm like, now I get why yeah. we're doing this, right? Because I can't not do it. If I want to go to be a counselor, which wasn't always clear to me. It, it, it took me a, it, up until probably that last year, that last semester where I was like, yeah, this is – this is the path I think that I'm, I'm being kind of like what you said, being called to. Um, and I can't do this without doing my own work. Yeah. Right. And that's something they even stressed a lot in grad school. They were like, you know, you can't, we can't force you to go to counseling. We can't force you mm-hmm. to, to do your own personal growth and development. And yet you're not going to be a good counselor if you don't. Right. If mm-hmm. you don't do your own personal development, that doesn't mean you have to go to counseling. It, 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 yeah. There's a lot of ways that could look. It doesn't necessarily mean that, but right. it does mean that you cannot separate out your personal life from your professional life. Exactly. That right. doesn't mean we like tell our clients our personal stories and mm-hmm. like we don't inappropriate self disclosure. But yes. you can't like who yes. I am as a person. Mm-hmm. 
because it is the relationship that heals that that connection that our clients yeah. feel with us is the best predictor. Uh, because that's true, I can't separate out who I am mm-hmm. and uh, the growth and joy and love in my life yeah. from my professional world. Yeah, and hopefully we I'm modeling our... that well to my students. Oh, hundred percent. I mean, I, that what you just said—it's the relationship that heals. Yeah, I mean, that's such. I mean, it's a, it's a well-known as you as you go further in the field and study more. That just becomes a very well-known aspect of mm-hmm. therapies is that that's a you know such a big predictive factor but but just that statement it's the relationship that heals that has stuck with me for since right yeah um so it's the mantra it's the mantra right yeah um but it's not your cleverness that heals yes it's not your wisdom yes. it's uh, it's your ability to form a relationship mm-hmm. that provide the, the 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 soil in which people heal yeah. And we don't heal apart from that soil. Right. Which I was just having a conversation with somebody about that yesterday, actually. And kind of this idea of like, how do you balance this um, responsibility, which I'm, I'm curious to hear. I want to hear more about this in a second from you. But but we were just talking about like, how do you balance this responsibility of like, there are these people coming to see you who are wanting to be healed, who are mm-hmm. wanting to see change in their lives. Yep. and And how do you balance like, you're supposed to provide that. And one's like, well, there, there's some freedom in the sense that we're not doing the changing, right? We're, we're not doing the healing. Uh, it is the relationship, right? There is that. There is yeah. techniques and tools we can use. But ultimately, you know, we, like you said, we only get to see them for like an hour a week. Mm-hmm. Um, ultimately, when it comes to therapy, most of the therapy takes place outside of the office, right? Yeah. Um, and so th- I think there is some freedom there where um, we're not the heroes here. We're not the savior creating the change for them. We're giving them the space. And yet we do have an important role and we have an important role. How do I acknowledge that I have an important role and that I do have experience and training Mm -hmm. much more than the average human being does. How do I Mm -hmm. acknowledge those things without that turning into a hero messianic complex? Exactly. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that, you know, especially (laughs) as you transition from Uh, the private practice role into this uh, as a professor, um, because I can't help but imagine that the power differential must feel so different, you know, where now you're grading, you have this this, this much bigger influence over the future of their lives, essentially. Like, will they graduate? Won't they graduate, right? Um, Versus, like, with counseling, yeah, we can give them homework or give them assignments to practice throughout the week. But if they don't do it, then it's like, okay, well, you you didn't do it. Um, I can't grade you on that, right? So what has this, like, change in in your role been like for you? Like, how are you handling this different role? Uh, Different role, but I think similar pedestal. So mm-hmm. I, th- I think it still provides the same challenges for me. Yeah. Uh, counseling and teaching provides the same challenge for me in terms of um, I can neither reject nor uncritically embrace my relationship with the pedestal. Uh, so uh, if it's all right with you, maybe I can unpack a little bit of what I mean by Please. that. Because that's, that's really important in my life and is uh, what I've been uh, chewing on a mm-hmm. lot lately is what do I want to do with that? Yeah. Uh, so l- let me t- talk about the pedestal first in terms of, I can't just reject that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, because it is true, uh, that I have more training and experience than the average human being has in terms of people helping right master's degree, uh, a PhD and thousands of hours of experience of helping people. Mm. Uh, and that, uh, let's just talk about counseling for a second to some degree, the client's perception that I do have an expertise, uh, the client's perception that I, I am on a bit of a pedestal and that I have something to offer them, uh, is valuable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I don't want to manipulate that, but that that is a resource to use in the therapy room. Mm-hmm. It's also true as a professor, as I said before, I'm literally paid to be an expert. That's my job. Mm-hmm. Like, if I if I didn't belong at a pedestal in terms of the subject matter I was teaching, then I wouldn't deserve this job. Right. But I do deserve that job, and I do have an expertise, and I do mm-hmm. have something to offer my students. Uh, and so to embrace that, uh, that virtue uh, and that position that I have 
is an important part of that. I don't want to duck that. I don't want to apologize for that. And I don't want to shy away from that. I want mm. to own that. Yeah. That I have an expertise and I have something to offer you as my students. And right after this, I'm going to drive over and give a lecture in my clinical counseling methods class on person-centered therapy. Yes. That I have an expertise <laughs> on that, that they don't have. Yeah. And if I just like, oh, I don't deserve to be on a pedestal and I just show up as like, what does little old me have to offer? Then I'm like not doing right. my job and not giving them what I could be giving them. Uh, and so some students have me on a bit of a pedestal in terms of, yeah, he knows something I don't and I want to learn from him mm-hmm. and I want to embrace that. Mm-hmm. And well, yet, and can I jump in with that <laughs> yeah. real quick? Before I we just, get to the and yet. Yeah. yeah I'd love well, to hear your thoughts. Cause I, I, th- I think it's something that gets thrown around. I don't know if it's from training. I don't know if it's just from pop culture, but like we, we hear a lot, like the client is the expert of their own life. Mm-hmm. Right. And to some degree that's true. Right. They they're which Carl Rogers articulates well. And we'll we'll talk about that today. Um, And at the same time, sometimes they don't know best. Otherwise, why are they there? Right. Right? You do have this role of of training expertise and and to some degree they they don't know best. And so there is this role that you it sounds like you really do have to own. Right. Because if to Mm -hmm. not own it would be to be inauthentic. Yes. And then the and yet. And yet. (laughs) And yet there is something radioactively dangerous Mm. about that pedestal. Yeah. There is something pathologically dangerous about that pedestal. Um, It's not entirely a coincidence that I've created a career for myself that involves a pedestal. Mm. Um, I, uh, my whole life have been exquisitely tuned to other people's feelings and desires and expectations much more so. And I think better than the average human being. Sure. And I've molded that and I've sculpted that for the purpose of subtly changing and adjusting myself so I can be more of what I think other people expect from me. Mm Mm-hmm. And part of the reason I can do this work is because I'm freaking good at it, Josh. I'm too good at it. I'm so good at understanding what what people want and need and becoming that for people Mm. uh, that I have um, had just seasons of totally losing myself in that and have a lot of pain and wounds in my story from being that person uh, of not being a person of being what other people expect me to be. Right. Um, <laughs> um, sounding like a, a typical a good type lyric. two Enneagram. There, yep. <laughs> yep. Uh, some things you shouldn't get too good at. Yeah. says the song lyric, like smiling, crying and celebrity. There's just some things you shouldn't get too good at. And I'm too good at being understanding what other people expect and becoming it. Can you say that again? The lyrics. Some things you shouldn't get too good at, like smiling, crying, and celebrity. Wow. I think that was worth repeating. That's, that's interesting. That's powerful. And I'm too good at the pedestal. Yeah. Uh, so, again, on the one hand, I don't want to shirk that. I want mm-hmm. to own and embrace that. Uh, and in other ways, I recognize that that is a dangerous drug in my life. That yeah. <laughs> your, your cousin uh, overdosed on heroin and i grieve that and i'm really sorry uh i overdose on people pleasing i'm I'm addicted to it it is my drug of choice uh and i've chosen a career that's uh very (laughs) that uh that that feeds that addiction right um and i need to be careful with that and so that's where my personal life uh comes in and how i spend my time and who i spend my time with and what i cultivate uh, in terms of the virtues in my life outside of the classroom are vital to me getting the best out of my calling and my gifts and my skills and not letting them become the monster that devours me. Mm. Would you be able to share just briefly, what are some of those things that you do to take care of yourself, to not let this overcome you? Yep. Because obviously you're the only person who struggles with these things, right? Yeah. And <laughs> kidding. Um, this is <laughs> this is a common struggle, right? I mean, yeah. um, we, we let our... Counselors ad- tend to have a messianic complex. Exactly. And it looks different for different people. I'm not sure what flavor yours is, mm-hmm. but I've, I've tried to put some words to what mine is. Yeah. 
and it's going to devour me if I'm not careful. Yeah. So what are some of those ways that you, you take care of yourself? You yep. don't let, you know, these boundaries blur. Yep. What do you do? Um, there's no one answer for that. Right. It's, uh, it's multi-layered and it has to hit, hit every level of my life. Uh, I think the first thing that comes to mind is uh, it's one of the ways faith plays an important role in my life. Uh, there is something I bend the knee to. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, there is um, uh, a not my will but yours. Mm-hmm. Uh, a surrender uh, in my life yeah. uh, that is orienting uh, and uh, provides uh, direction and humility uh, for me. Uh, and so staying immersed and engaged in my faith has been a powerful thing there. Um, and the, uh, the next one that comes to mind and the one that's in bright neon letters in my mind right. is my relationship with Julie, mm. my wife. Yeah. Um, I am married to this extraordinary creature, this, <laughs> this organic creature. Uh, and by that, I don't mean that she like eats organic foods. Uh, I mean that she is this living, vibrant, uh, kinetic, dynamic force of life. Mm. Um, she's extraordinary, and she's vibrant, and she's passionate, and she's hardworking, um, and she loves me fiercely. Yeah. And that is an extraordinary thing. What a um, gift. It is a huge gift. And I want to be careful to your listeners to make sure I'm not painting... Uh, the picture that uh, you have to be married to be whole. Right. That is clearly not true. Uh, and I also don't want to paint a picture to your listeners that you have to have uh, a healthy, functioning, perfect marriage to go into counseling and to be an effective counselor or to be a whole person. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is an extraordinary asset and benefit in my life uh, that helps me navigate that pedestal in better ways to be loved but well by somebody that I'd, I admire and respect mm-hmm. uh, and to give myself over to building a life with that person, this, this kinetic life force that I just uh, am like in some ways just barely hanging on for the ride with what a joyful person she is, yeah. uh, is such an important piece in me bringing the best of who I am to what I do professionally and not letting the demons take over. You don't need to be married to be whole, but what you do need is community. Yes. And close relationships mm-hmm. that are consistent, that are loving. Yes. Mm. And that's the third piece is Julie isn't uh isn't supposed to or able to meet all of my emotional needs. Right. Uh, and so I have, uh, we have really cultivated community in our lives. We've com- cultivated community in our marriage, in our family, with our kids. Uh, and that's a high priority, but neither of us accept that as sufficient, mm. uh, in terms of community, uh, and so that faith piece, that faith community is a huge right. part of it. Um, but cultivating community in terms of relationships, and I can give you a great example. Mm. Um, uh, this was a couple weeks ago, I think three weeks ago. Uh, I, I learned a piece of information, uh, in my personal life that kind of, uh, upended some important narratives in my life. Sure. Um, that has made me reevaluate, uh, myself in the context of relationships in important ways. Mm. Uh, for a lot of reasons, I don't want to get into the details of that right here. It's not not necessary to get into the details of that because the point is, uh, I did a lot of thinking, uh, and praying through that on my own, did a lot of talking that through with my wife, uh, and was out with two good friends that know me mm-hmm. and love me well. And we're at a bar having a pint. Yeah. Goofing around, talking about stupid stuff, hanging out and having fun. And uh, in the midst of that, to be like, I know we're just at a pub having a pint, um, but I just had something pretty important happen. And I'm wondering if I can just bounce it off of you. Um, and I'd love to hear your thoughts. Mm-hmm. And more than anything, uh, I want you to have full permission if you see blind spots for me on this. Because I think I'm dealing with this pretty well. I think I'm figuring out how to integrate this into my right. story. Um, but I also know I'm not above deluding myself. So mm-hmm. let me lay this out, where, what happened, where I'm at, and my thought process. And then uh, like engage with me on it. 
And like, they loved it. Mm. They loved the goofing around. But when I was like, can I, can I talk about something pretty important? The, the, the temperature changed and they were right there with me. And to have those kinds of relationships is life changingly good. And I hope, you know, whether you're married or not, or in a thriving marriage or not, uh, everybody can cultivate those kinds of relationships. Uh, and everybody should be cultivating those kinds of relationships because, uh, that is extraordinarily powerful and meaningful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's great. No, that's great. I, I, I don't have anything to add. You said it well. Um, yeah. So there's just a couple ways of how I'm, (laughs) <laughs> yeah not letting the it's it's not complex the worst of me right it doesn't have to be complex yeah. it can be as simple as relationships right that's a you know that's a topic that has been consistently coming up in the different podcast interviews i've been doing just in life in general is that relationships are key in life and and we need supportive relationships and if you don't have yep. that then there needs to be a process of how do we find that yep. right and that is the drum beat of my life. That is mm-hmm. the drum that I'm going to beat until I have no more breath in my lungs. And it's not the only message. And other people have other drums to beat that are valuable and important and worthwhile. And that's the one that I'm going to keep. Yeah. And uh, to speak into this microphone to as many people as here, to speak it to my students as often as I can, and in every venue and corner of my life, that uh, relational connectedness is at the heart of the universe. Mm. Uh, and... Um, that is where healing is. That's where wholeness is. That's where goodness is. That's where joy is. And we should all be moving in that direction. Well said. Thank you, Dr. Demos. I really appreciate your time here. Thank you. I appreciate you as a student and I'm really proud to have watched you uh, advance in this field that uh, I could tell right away was going to be a good fit for you. Thank you. Bless you, Josh. Mm -hmm.